Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Ulumdi. All right. Good morning, everyone. And uh, once again, uh, welcome to those who are uh, meeting with us for the first time. It's glad to have you here and um, look forward to speaking with you probably after the service. Now, I want to quickly, what we've been doing, as Olumde said, we've been running a series um, from September, and we're going to run that all the way to November. And this series we've titled The Gospel-Centered Urban Church. Now, a gospel-centered Urban church is our identity, as you may have seen at some time in the, um, in the service. We say we are a gospel-centered urban church. Now, so what we're doing is we're trying to unpack what does that really mean. We don't want it to just become a slogan. We want it to, if we claim that, we want that um, an understanding of what we claim to actually fill our minds. And so because of that, we're doing this sermon series. And we've taken the three things that you find in the identity statement. So one is gospel-centered. And in September, we talked about the gospel and four sermons. And then the next is that we are urban. And with that, we are talking about the context we find ourselves and therefore the context we are trying to minister to. And so we looked at mission. We are looking at mission in this month. And then finally, next month, we are a church, so we are looking at community. So with mission now, we've spoken about evangelism in our first two uh, sermons. And we spoke about evangelism, uh, the imperative to go and evangelize, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28. But then we looked at how do we evangelize, particularly in the context that we find ourselves. Now, we are taking those who have been evangelized and have believed, not only what they say, that's important, the content of the gospel, but that gospel must be real to their lives. It should bring about transformation. As Yemi said, we are about inward transformation for outward blessing. Now, being an urban, in an urban uh, environment, work becomes very important. And so we are taking ourselves, if we are gospel-centered, how would we feature or how would we uh, operate in the workspace? How do we even think about work as people of Jesus Christ? And so that's what we've uh, been looking at. So let me start with this. I don't know, some of us may or may, not be, uh, may, or may not be familiar with uh, what has happened, but imagine if you are an actor, 
or an actress, a budding actor or actress. And you had the opportunity to work with perhaps the greatest producer of films in you know, Hollywood, for instance. And that opportunity was presented to you. And many people saw that. And at every point, you refused to take up that opportunity. And people were wondering, why wouldn't you? I mean, the opportunity is there on your plate. The producer himself is actually trying to get you to act in some of his movies. And he's offered you once, he's offered you twice, and even the third time, you keep refusing. And in fact, you eventually tell someone, I've decided not to work with him. Now, that's the case that we find with, I don't know, there's a guy called Harvey Weinstein. And for some of us that know him, he's been, he's probably the biggest, probably the biggest is Mr. Oscar in terms of the number of films that have won Oscars and the people that have worked with him. He's founder of uh, Merrimack Studios. So when you think of films like English Patient, Pulp Fiction, Shakespeare in Love, The King's Speech, Chicago, Goodwill Hunting, uh, what was the, the one about uh, that Meryl Streep did um, when she played the queen? Uh, the Queen, I can't remember that also. Just many movies. And then you have this very young actress, Lupita Nyong'o, who has decided she's never going to work with him. And the, answer, the question would be, why wouldn't she? Well, the story was that the very first time she met him, while she was still in school, just about to finish, he had made sexual advances on her, first time. Very, got her in a position that she never has been got her to his house, and you know, he started asking for certain kind of sexual favors. And the man did it once, he did it twice. And so by the third time, as he was making some advances, she decided she was never going to work with him, even if the opportunity presented itself. Now, I cite that story to say this. If you look at Lupita Nyong'o without knowing that story, what are you going to say? You say she's either very, very arrogant, or she's extremely stupid, or she's just not ambitious. But the storyline has affected her view of that particular person. And in many ways as well, when we come to the issue of work, there is a prevailing storyline that affects our view of what we think world work is. In fact, it is the view that we have of the world, what is called a world view. A world view is a framework or set of fundamental beliefs through which we see or view the world are calling and future in it. How do you view the world? Now, quickly, I'll just say a bit about last week's sermon. We start to talk about it, and if you look at the Bible, the Bible has a basic storyline. Most of the Bible is history, but the history is telling us a story. And that storyline has four acts. You can think of creation, fall, redemption, new creation. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. Creation is when God created everything and he created it well. Fall is when the, his pinnacle of creation, man, his image bearers, rebelled against him. Redemption is what he did in Jesus Christ to fix that. New creation is the fulfillment of Jesus' work. Now, how does that affect work? Well, we understood from last week that if you take the very first act, God's creation, and God creating everything that is good, we found out that, at least what the Bible said, is that in creation, God was working. God's work was creation. Now, the pinnacle of God's creation, who he called image bearers, are people that reflect him in a way that other creatures cannot reflect him. So, 
those people that he creates are valuable in that, or they have inherent wealth in that they are created in God's image. Now, if they are valuable, then they create value. But if they reflect God in a way that nobody else does, if God works, they work. If God works, God creates. If they work, they also create, but they create value. So one way we view work is value creation. Another way that we view work is that it is God who calls the man and puts him into the garden. So it is God, our work is a response to the call of God. We call it a dignifying priestly call. God wants to bless humanity, and so he uses humans to bless humanity. So it's priestly. So that's a worldview if we're looking from the aspect of creation. And then we saw that the fall happened. And in the fall, man rebelled against God. And this brought about the cursing, not of work, but the cursing of the conditions for work. So this makes work extremely difficult, but God responds, responds in redemption. Now, what's redemption? It's basically God going to work again. But this time, he's working in the person of Jesus Christ, and now we are waiting the full benefits of his full redemption. Now, but this week, I want us to look at something a little bit more. I want to push that worldview a little bit more and bring it to how it affects our work. Because you may be thinking, well, all of that is nice, highfalutin stuff, good story. How does this affect my work today? All right. If you want to do that, then please permit me to allow us to take this exercise. Now, everyone close your eyes. Close it. Look, it's a command that has come from above, all right? So <laughs> if you don't, I, I, I'm sorry for whatever will happen to you. Close your eyes. Now, I want you to imagine this. Imagine your worst, your worst boss or your worst employee or subordinate. For some of you, that may be the current one, but anyway, we'll keep going. <laughs> Imagine the reason why they are the worst. Imagine the things that they have done. I imagine the work that you are doing for them or the work you ask them to do. Now open your eyes. I was actually going to tell you also to imagine your best boss or your best subordinate, but I didn't want my, our employees of the church to start thinking about me. You know, so <laughs> we, we don't want that kind of self-aggrandizement. Anyway, back to this. We thought about the worst people. And I, I thought about the worst person I'd worked for. I thought about the worst person that worked for me. And I can tell you, it did not conjure up very good feelings. And when I applied it to the job, because here's the thing, your call is not your job. Your, call, your job is the environment through which you live out your call. And many times we mix the two. And so what happens sometimes is when we think about the environment, we now hate the job. And therefore, when we hate the job, we hate the call. Now, why I ask you to think about that is this. Many times we think about our work through the eyes of the people we work for or the people that work for us. Relationship matters to work. And so if we're going to think and build our worldview, the worldview of people living after the fall, if we're going to build the worldview of how I should work, not just the issues of how God has created things, but now the mechanics of it, 
you're going to have to think about relationships. And Paul is very, very, he understands this very, very much because from Ephesians 5, verse 21 to Ephesians 6, verse 9, he's talking about relationships. Not relationships within the church. He's treated that from Ephesians 4 up until Ephesians 4, verse 1, up until Ephesians 5, verse 19, uh, verse 20. But now he's talking about our other relationships. How are Christians meant to live wisely in the other relationships that we have outside the church? So he talks about the a marital relationship, the one between the man and the wife, 522 to verse 33. Then it talks about our parenting relationships or our relationships to our parents. And that is from Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. And in this particular context now, he talks about our vocational relationship, the relationship between the boss and the subordinate. And so that's what we're going to look at. And for us to look at that, so that's why we, uh, we, we title this works present because we're talking about how our work is affected now. So we want to look at that, but since it's based on relationships, our three headings would be three different people. The subordinate, the boss, and the others. The subordinate, the boss, and the others. So let's start. The subordinate. I'm speaking only with subordinates. Many of us here just hate our jobs because we have unkind, belligerent bosses. And as I was saying, our worldview of work is now we've created it based on that boss. You want to get your own because, look, all these bosses, all these bosses, all the management. Management is always the problem. You put on your, your Che Guevara kind of T-shirt or your Marxist Workers Unite. Because management is the problem. Let me read um, a story about a guy for you that maybe he would reflect your views. His name is Tamino. Now, Tamino is a very dedicated and hard worker. In fact, he prides himself at being a Christian who doesn't slouch in the opportunities God has provided for him. He's, however, recently made a career move to a multinational after serving in an SME, a smaller, medium um, enterprise, for over eight years. Now, three months into the job, however, uh, three months into the job, however, he has realized that things are not going according to plan. And that's largely because he does not get along with his line manager, Halima. All right? Uh, hope we're too distracted by that. Let me just say that again. Three months into the job, things are not going to up according to plan, and that's largely because he does not get along with his line manager, Halima. Now, Halima is way too bossy. She's never appreciative. She's very quick to blame him for her mistakes, and then she takes credit for his own input. Tamino is fed up. He's no longer driven and now delivers most of his tasks very late because he uses most of his working hours to polish his CV and browse LinkedIn. He has also picked up a habit of pretending to be busy when Halima is around and also only ever says flattering things to her so that she treats him nicely. Can all the real terminals here raise their hands? <laughs> or maybe they can stand up now. But, but some of us will identify this. And I'm not just talking about having a halima over you. I'm talking about reacting the way that Tamino has reacted. And the question should be, is that reacting from a Christian worldview? And I think if Paul were to address Tamino, he's going to say a couple of things. In this verse, in this text, he shows us what Christians 
our subordinates are meant to do and how we are meant to do them. What are the most important thing for you to do as a subordinate and how are you meant to go about doing? Well, the most important thing for you to do, as you see in verse five, and, uh, 5 to 7, is that you are meant to obey and you are meant to serve. 5 and 6, save, obey your earthly masters. Verse, um, just as you would obey Christ. Verse 6, obey them not only to win their favor. Verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord. Obedience and service. We are meant to obey authority. We are meant to serve the people above us and the mission of the organization. Because once you come in, if you are a subordinate in an organization, you are coming to something that is larger than you. And it says you are called to obey the authority and you are meant to serve the people that are there, the ones that are above you, but also the mission of that place. And you are meant to do this despite your feelings. Now, if that wasn't controversial enough, because you know now we are in the 21st century, things are a lot more egalitarian. We don't like calling people with titles. You know, you go into these offices nowadays, there's no MD's uh, office. Uh, everybody is, is the Google age. Everybody's in a shared working space. Have you seen Mark Zuckerberg's uh, the office, right? I think Mark Zuckerberg has one kind of cubicle just there, and he's wearing his gray T-shirt, you know? And everybody is Mark, Mark. 30, 40 years ago, you were leading that kind of organization, and you went, and you're, maybe you're, the MD is uh, Ade, and you just say, just think of Mike Ade, Ade Oju, for instance, and you go and just say, hey, Mike. <laughs> As you're doing that, you're putting down your resignation letter. But now everything is more egalitarian. So to say obey, it almost sounds scandalous. Come on, it's not keeping up with the time. Well, the Bible says, uh, you have to keep up with what the Bible says. Obey and serve. And then you think, ah, all right, let's be one of those kinds of Christians. I don't really like what the Bible says. I like to apologize for it. But you know, the Bible says it. Why are you doing this thing? Well, the Bible says it, so I just have to do it. So you're going to obey your boss. And you, know, you make him know that. Let me just tell you, I want to obey you. If not, the Bible has said that I should obey you. Just know. Well, Paul has something for you. It makes it even worse. He says, not only are you just are you called to obey and serve, but you are meant to do it how? Without eye service, verse 6. And in verse 7, you are meant to do it wholeheartedly. Or even in verse 5, he says, with sincerity of heart. There's a negative aspect of it, and there's a positive aspect of it. The negative aspect is not when their eyes are on you. That is, not with eye service. This eye service is a big thing. What is eye service? Notice it says you should serve the person. So eye service is not serving the person. Eye service is what? Serving the person's eyes. In other words, you are deceiving the person. You don't value the person, nor do you value the mission of the organization. What you value is how that person sees you. In other words, you have adopted a worldview that is self-centered. And you will do anything to keep that self-centered worldview, that is the way it should serve you, because the only person they are truly trying to serve when you are serving their eyes is yourself. And you'll do anything. You will deceive. You will flatter like Tamanoa has started to do. Why? Because as long as it meets the person's eyes, you are all right. Very deceptive. And you know the worst thing about it is you can only deceive people that you do not value. When you are, value, when you are not serving someone that you are called to serve and you are serving the person's eyes, 
you are deceiving the person. But you show something more. You have objectified the person. My boss is there to serve me with favor and reward. Notice he says that you do this to, uh, to win their favor when their eye is on you. The worldview is self-centered. You want to serve yourself, so you serve their eyes. And now the Bible says that is not doing it wholeheartedly. You are doing it for that person and not for, you are doing it for yourself and not that person. What's wrong with that? Well, it's very simple. The Bible does not build a worldview that centers on self. Everything about what the Bible tells us as Christians is that we should be other people-centered. And so the obedience and the wholehearted service is trying to keep with the, with with, um, is trying to keep in line with what the Bible says, that if you are truly inwardly transformed, you will be looking to bless others. But it's very important that I say something. Let me tell you what obedience isn't. Three things that obedience is not. Now, obedience is not that you should violate your conscience because your boss tells you to do something. If you are called to do something that you know is wrong, totally wrong, Right In the eyes of God, you're not meant to do it. Why? Because you're not a slave to your boss. But, according to verse 6, you are a slave of Christ. So you can't violate your conscience. That's one. The second thing obedience isn't, is not this kind of total resignation. This kind of, well, I'm not contributing anything. What do you want me to do? You want me to do it a bit? Fine. You want me to press that button that is going to bring this company down? Fine. You want me to cut that deal? Fine. I'm not going to say anything because I'm called to obey. Well, the problem there is that you don't really, you're not really obeying, you're not serving the mission of the organization. So it's not a call for you to be silent or to be res resigned because the problem with that is that you don't care. If you do something that you're, if you're called to do something and you don't even try to say, I don't think this thing would be right, or you're not trying to challenge something, if you do that, you are showing that you do not care for the organization. No, what we are meant to do is to challenge certain things, but we are meant to do it with respect. Verse 5. Serve them with respect. And let me say the third thing. The third thing is obedience does not mean that you must agree with what your boss is telling you to do. So eventually, if you've made the challenge, you've said, you put your... your your point of disagreement there, and the person doesn't change their minds. Obedience doesn't mean, when the Bible says you must obey, it doesn't mean that means you must agree with what he says. No, that's not what it is. So you then ask, if I don't agree, I cannot then serve wholeheartedly or with sincerity of heart. Some of us will say that. That Femi, look, you're telling me to obey. All right, I can obey. But I cannot obey or serve wholeheartedly with sincerity of heart something that I do not actually believe in. And I'll say, I respectfully disagree with you. Because while obedience is not saying that you must agree with what your boss is saying, obedience also means that you will wholeheartedly Submit not to what your, your boss's opinion, but you submit to God's arrangement in your office, the ordained arrangement in your office. Do you get that? If I say, if Francis is my boss and Francis tells me to actually 
maybe cut a particular deal that will cost the organization money that I think in the long term. And Francis and I argue over it there again and again and again. And there is a deadline to make a decision. And we come to the end of it. And at that deadline, Francis still holds his position. What I don't do when we are going to make a pitch to that organization outside is maybe I'm the one that's called to make the pitch. I don't go and then start saying, well, thank you very much. Uh, I've come to come and give you a presentation for this office. Now, I just let you, I'd like you to know that I don't really agree with this. But my bosses have told me that this is what they are agreeing. And since I'm a very good Christian and I'm a Christian, I'm called to obey and serve, I'm going to tell you what my boss has said I should tell you. <laughs> or we may not be as crass as that. We may not say it, but our whole body language is showing that we totally don't believe in it. There is a problem there. As I said, you can joyfully, I can actually present what Francis has told me to, which I don't agree. I can do that. Why? And I can do it with my whole heart. Why? Because I am not agreeing or submitting to Francis' opinion. I am agreeing with God who has ordained that Francis should be my boss and me, his subordinate. And so the call to obey and to serve means that many times you would have to die to your own self and say, I would love for things to go this way, but God has not ordained for me to be in the place of influence to actually make that decision. So God I am not necessarily obeying or serving this person's opinion here, but I am serving Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we are called to do that. So this is really important. Remember, notice he said serving the Lord. And when he says serving the Lord, he's talking about the risen Jesus Christ. Not just the Jesus Christ that died, but Jesus Christ who is risen, who is now Lord over the whole world. Don't forget, if we go to Ephesians 1, uh, 19 to 23, he shows that Jesus is not just the head of the church, so he's not just trying to think about what you do when you serve in the church, but he's also talking about the world, because Jesus is Lord of the world. Isn't that amazing? That the head of the church is not only concerned with what you do in church, he's very concerned with what you do outside. In Christianity, when it comes to work, there is no sacred or secular divide. As I said last week, your work outside the church is not less holy than your work inside the church. The only way that will happen is if Jesus Christ is not Lord of the world. But guys, and I say this, I, maybe I shouldn't. I put it in my notes, I say it, and I cancel it because I don't want to offend any people, but I think I'll say it anyway. I'm speaking particularly to millennials. Now, I don't hate, I, I, no, I don't hate, of course I don't hate millennials. But the millennial generation has grown up in a more egalitarian world. And authority is not, very, is not something that is well understood. The moment someone is telling you to do a particular thing, you almost feel like it's not the issue. You may even agree with the fact that the person actually says, that thing that the person says, you may actually agree with it. But you just don't like the fact that the person is telling you what to do. And if you don't, what moral justification would you have when you have gotten your double promotion and all of those things to then call somebody else to do, to, for them to do what they're meant to do? See, many people want to be obeyed without obeying. Too many people want to be served without serving. Too many demand heart loyalty who, without ever giving heart loyalty to any other person or their mission. There is no place for that in the Christian worldview. And one more thing on this. The problem with eye service is that you want to get your boss's reward, favor. That's what it says. 
But sometimes you will get it in this world when you deserve. Sometimes you won't get it when you deserve. You can't depend on the reward of your boss as the means through which you are going to be motivated to do what is right or wrong. And that's why in verse 8, it says there is another reward. If you look and you are serving someone else who is not as erratic as your own boss, he will give you a reward, an eternal reward, verse 8, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do. You see, what Tamino should have said is something like, or he should have been thinking is something like this. He should understand that Jesus, who is Lord of all, knows the difficulty of his job, and yet he can get motivation to do what is right, knowing that Christ, not Halima, is his Lord and the one who will reward him. Point two. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, the biblical worldview is elitist. Karl Marx was right. Religion is the opiate of the people. And it's why he said workers should unite, because it's religion that keeps the establishment above, and they continue to oppress those who are below. After that, I'll just say, you're wrong. Be patient. You see, I, I deal with counseling. I do counseling a lot, and especially with marriages. And one of the things I found to be extremely successful when people come with their problems is never, ever, and any of you that are called to counseling, look, if they come with problems and the woman hates his gods because he did this, the man hates her gods because she did that, the worst thing you can do, at least for, even for yourself, but for the mind, is to have both of them and start trying to counsel them together. You know this thing, you tell them, okay, uh, uh, let's say it's my wife and I. Femi, allow Tosin to talk. All right. So Tosin starts talking. Mm, she says one thing. You don't agree. All right, I'll hold it. She says another thing. Mm, ah, you don't see Femi already shaking like this. No, no, no. By the time she just says the third thing, no, no, that's not true. But what about you? That other day, didn't you say? And you keep going on and on and on. So the best thing you are meant to do for you is to say, Femi, can you go into that room, please? Tosin, let's talk. And essentially what Paul is doing. He does that when talking about marriage. He does that when talking about parenting. And now he does that when talking about boss and, and servant relationship, boss and subordinate relationship. So he's finished with the subordinates, and now he turns his eyes to the bosses. So bosses, I'm talking to you. And by that, I mean whether you've established a business or you're a line manager or you're leading people. Again, he says two things. What are we to do and how are we to do it? Well, let's read this with Colossians 4 verse 1 also helps. Colossians 4 verse 1 says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. What are bosses meant to do? They are meant to provide what's right and fair. Say that with me. What are bosses meant to do? They are meant to provide what's right and fair. I noticed all the bosses in the house kept quiet. Um, translation. It means bosses are actually meant to care. They're actually meant to care. It's not just throw the money there. That should be an expression of the care that you have for your subordinates. There's a negative way of doing that. Is you constantly threaten them. Verse 9. Do not threaten them. Because threatening them will show that you don't care for them. So how do you do it? 
Well, Paul says, look at verse 9 again, and masters, treat your slaves how? In the same way. Which same way? Well, the same way is the same way that he's asked the, uh, the, the subordinates to also treat you. How? Wholeheartedly, with sincerity of heart. In other words, this is what I mean. You don't say after you go for one leadership training or whatever, they say the way to maximize your profit is also to treat your, 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 your employees as one of your stakeholders. So care for your employees. So you think, care for the employees. Care for the employees. So you go back to work on Monday. It was a fantastic retreat. It was nice. Now I am someone who cares for my employees. And so I go to Shegu Ahmed and say, Shegu, so how's your family? How's, how's, how's everything? How's your children? How's your, he can't even get a wedding. You're asking him about everything. And so Shagun said, okay, I'll give this a try. Well, you know, my mom, my mom, she's not been feeling too well. I hope you've taken her to the hospital. Good. So Shagun, this thing that I wanted you to help me type out, this presentation. And you go back and you sit down and say, ah, I've just displayed care. <laughs> I asked. 30 seconds of care. I mean, that's, 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 that's not too bad. Oh. The bosses are speaking. So care for them. Don't ask about their families when you quickly get to a work and then quickly get to a work-related thing. Don't give incentives with the express aim to blackmail for a future favor. Now, how do we do these things? Because it's not very easy. And I tell you, there's only one way of doing it. You will only really do this if you are working for another boss. You will not care for them if you are working for another boss who isn't Christ. And in Lagos, we have many bosses that our bosses are working for. One is, if your master idol, your main idol, is either profit or a reputation or a position. You're trying to get to that position. If you do that, your reputation, you want to be on the front cover of Forbes. If these are your main masters, you will have simply exchanged a biblical worldview for a worldly one. In many business schools today, and now I'm going to tread on very controversial uh, waters. In many business schools, I would say against the historic founding of what we call modern capitalism today. In many business uh, schools, you are taught that your main job, if you find a business, is to maximize shareholder profits. That's the reason for establishing a business. Now, I'll say this. If that is your sole, sole aim and driver as a business, this is wrong. In fact, in light of a post-fall world, I would say it's even very dangerous. Why? Because just like as I was saying with the, um, with the subordinates, if you are serving yourself, you will see your masters or your bosses not as people. You will see them as objects. If profit, maximizing profit alone, so, and I'll get back to that because I've not said profit is bad. But if you have made it your master and your idol, most likely what you're going to do is that you're going to objectify human beings. Because then the people that work for you will not be human beings. The people that work for you will be bolts and nuts. There will be buttons that you need to press to be able to get to what is your true goal to maximize my profit as much as possible. In other words, you will not treat human beings as the image of God, those who are really valuable. You will treat them as objects 
or stepping stones to get to where I really want to go. I'll give you an example. Many of us have heard about what happened in 2008 when it was almost as though the financial uh, system of the world was about to crash. Now, it's a very complex thing that happened, but there's some simplicity. In fact, most people, even business school people who are not actually Christians, have said the underlying and the most important factor that caused the whole thing to fall is, was greed. Let me give you an example. We don't have this much in Nigeria, but in other parts of the world, when people want to get houses, you have to get a mortgage, right? You want to buy a house, and so you need to get a mortgage. Now, traditionally, how things will function is if your house, the house you want to buy is $100,000, you walk into a mortgage house, they'll ask you what you want. You say, I want to buy a house. How much is the house? It's $100,000. Okay, they calculate. How long do you want it for? It's going to be spread over. I'll pay it back over 30, uh, 30 years. What is the deposit? The deposit is going to be $5,000, something like that. So you have 95,000, 95,000 with a certain interest, and you're meant to pay back over 30 years. What's the next thing they'll do? They'll check for your credit rating, or they'll ask how much you earn. And they calculate a particular ratio. If what you earn to what you're going to pay back starts to exceed maybe like 50% or something, they will decline you. Because there's no use trying to say that this person that earns $1,000, if we start telling that his payback is $750, will he not eat? Will he not transport himself? If we do that, most likely, you know what's going to happen? This person is going to default. He's not going to pay back. He's going to run away. So it's wrong for us. But then what started to happen was profit entered. Reputation entered. And so many of these mortgage houses got the marketers. And that word that we, a lot of us in banking industry know came in, targets. And the targets were not based on valuing human beings for who they were and what kind of destruction it can bring to them. The targets were based on our P&L sheet and how good we are looking. And so you started having people that were giving credits to people with ratios of 125%. That is, they were giving people mortgages where their income, for instance, if their income per month was $1,000, their mortgage that they were meant to pay was $1,250 in a month. How is that possible? And so what then started to happen was you then had people, as this whole thing was built up over and over, over and over, you then had people, once the thing was crashing, all of a sudden, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, where's the money? Where's the money? I don't have the money. And then we started having foreclosures, and people who had put... Um, uh, uh, who, had, who were very happy that they built houses, they were now in their houses, they now had to be evicted, they were homeless. So both the people that entered, who were greedy, the people that got the houses were greedy, and the people that were selling to them were also greedy. Now don't get me wrong, again, I said I've simplified this, but in essence that was actually a driver. And so in Lagos now, we have some of the worst and abusive working conditions. The pressures from these idols trickles down from the bosses to subordinates and ensures humane, inhumane closing time. No leaves, seven-day working weeks, crippling workloads, subjugation to verbal tirades and emotional abuses, lack of standard health and safety practices. If you go to some factories today and see the health and safety, the conditions under which some of these people are working because they need to make 20,000 naira in the month, you will cry.
lack of reasonable job security, lack of living wages, mind-boggling financial targets, and working under constant threat of suspension or termination. Friends, this is what happens when your master is not Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. The alternative to not having maximizing shareholder profit as your sole aim and driver is not losing shareholder money. Do you understand what I'm saying? I am not making a case for, well, since you have to care for your employees, then it doesn't matter if you don't make a profit. That's absolutely silly. And I would say from a biblical worldview, that is also very silly. Remember, if you go back to the creation, we said that, if, that value creation matters. If Christ is your master, value creation in your organization is going to matter. And you cannot, listen to me, you cannot have value creation without responsible financial management. If you are caring for your employees, if you are giving them retreats every three months because they are working very hard, and you are just doubling their, uh, their salaries every six months, you know what's going to happen? Within a year, you will make no value and your company will crash and God will you will, be, you, 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 got, you will give account for that stewardship. So we are saying, because profit is necessary. Profit is like blood circulation. Your blood needs to go. The moment your blood, your blood is, not, is not going around, we know that your heart is not pumping. If your heart is not pumping, you know what's going to happen to you? You will die. So without profit, a company cannot stand. But nobody says that I live for blood circulation, do they? No, you live for a purpose. You live for something else. And so we see that the fall has messed the working conditions up. But Christian bosses are called to provide better working conditions because we know Jesus is going to bring about a new creation where working conditions will be totally perfect. And so these leaders are called, if you look at verse 9 again, leaders are called, and in many ways in the Bible, leading is also synonymous with judging. The whole book of Judges is about judges, but the judges were leaders. And so he says, this is how you are meant to lead. Lead in light of how you want to be judged eternally. Do not threaten them since you know that you have a master, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, there is no favoritism with him. When he judges, he doesn't do that with favoritism. Finally, and I must rush through this because time has gone. You guys may have noticed something. That apart from the boss and the subordinate in this relationship, somebody always makes an entrance. Now, normally we say in a relationship that you know, it takes two to tango. When there's a third person, ah, there's something wrong with the tango, right? There's something with downstairs. None of us want to have a mitre relationship where there's a third person. That's what Diana said, right? Diana, the princess of Wales, when she was asked, she said, in this marriage, there's another, there's another person, there's a third person in this marriage. That's why it's not working. But notice here that there's someone that keeps making an entrance. And it's God. In verse 6, it says we should obey the will of God in our hearts. And more importantly, or more, more vivid, is the person of Jesus Christ. You see him appear. Verse 5, Christ. Verse 6, Christ. Verse 7, the Lord. Verse 8, the Lord. 
Verse 9, the master. Even in Colossians, the master. He keeps appearing here. That when you are thinking about your relationship between your boss or with your subordinate, you cannot think about it without thinking about Jesus Christ. In, other, in fact, let me push it further. If Jesus is the secondary member, a secondary member in this relationship, let alone someone that is absent, if he's secondary, you have exchanged the Christian worldview for a worldly one. The point being is this. If Jesus is truly Lord of all, and you see him as omnipotent and he can see all things, then you cannot say that you want to conduct a human relationship without thinking of the implications of Christ looking into that relationship. We cannot live as though Jesus being Lord is this abstract thing that we as Christians are called to confess. Is Jesus truly Lord in your life? To do that is to adopt a Christian worldview. And so Jesus keeps coming in. Now you may say, well, Femi, you don't understand that I have complicated pressures. There are so many pressures. The things that I planned for, the, the way I organize this thing, I've worked for this thing for three years. It's finally coming to a head, and now they're telling me this. You can't really understand. I know Jesus is there. Yes, I know, I know, I know, I know, I'm not, but I'm not the one that killed him. Let me say something. If you are going through pressures that is pushing you to actually behave in a way that is not consistent in a Christian worldview, it is precisely the time for you to remember that Jesus is Lord. Because whatever things and masters are bringing these pressures, ultimately what you think that you need to do for them will not bring satisfaction to you. And then final question on this is, if Jesus keeps making an appearance, Paul is doing this intentionally. And the question should be, why is Jesus so central to Paul's thinking about this? Let me see reasons for it, both for the subordinate and the boss. For the subordinate, listen. Unlike us, Jesus was a slave who only ever did good. But he received judgment instead of a reward. And he did that so that he could serve those whom he came to serve, uh, save. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You complain about not always being appreciated. Jesus Christ did not do any evil, and he did not receive a reward. He received a judgment. He obeyed God. The task he was given you think that you have very terrible working conditions. His working conditions were so bad that it became the worst possible working conditions because on the cross of Jesus Christ, you know what he was doing? He was working. He said, my father work and works and I continue to, my father continues to work and I am working now. The work that God gave Jesus to do was eventually to go and die on a cross. And he did this without complaining. And so if you are in Jesus Christ, you as a subordinate, you are now called to serve him through obeying your earthly masters even in less than ideal working conditions. The gospel. And what about those who are bosses? Well, Jesus is the master who, though having insubordinate uh, slaves, did not win them over through control threats, nor provide them with eternally punishing conditions. 
let him who is without sin cast the first stone, we like to say. If we say that we have not sinned, we call God a liar. In other words, if we say Jesus Christ is our master, but we are in subordinate slaves, and yet Jesus did not provide you with eternally, um, eternally destructive working conditions in hell. No, he went to hell to die for you so that you don't be there. He suffered the punishment they deserve so that when he brings full redemption in the full redemption, new heavens and new earth, they would have eternally blissful working conditions. And so now he calls Christian bosses here in anticipation of that new heavens and new earth. He says you should create good working conditions for your subordinates. In other words, the gospel meant everything to Paul. And the gospel should mean everything to you. In light of a post-fall world, guys, things are going to be difficult. Are things difficult for you in this current place of work? Most likely. But if we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth that Jesus has wrought in his death and his resurrection, then we can say, come what may, you are Lord of my life. I will not only serve those who are around me, I will serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Come what may, you are the master of my life. I will not only create working conditions that are as ideal as possible for the people around me, but I will do so because I care for them just as you cared for me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it calls us and counters sometimes our understanding of how the world works. Lord, we may find ourselves in different conditions in our working environment, and we may find this challenge to us to be hard, to be difficult. We may have many questions, and things may look less uh, too idealistic. And yet we know that your view on reality is greater than what we can see. So as the beginning of this reading was, it says that we should be filled with your spirit. Father, we ask for you to fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit so that we can view the gospel as that which is beautiful and enables us to do that which is right. As bosses, Lord, we ask that you help us to be caring for our employees, be caring for those who are under us, to care to see their development, care to see them flourish in the things that God has called them to and to be people that provide guidance and people that provide conditions that enables them to flourish. We ask, oh God, that as people who are employed under others, help us to understand authority. Help us, Lord God Almighty, to see that when we do so, we are not just obeying them, and we are not just serving the mission of the church, but of, the, of the workplace, but we are also doing, and we are also serving and obeying you. Help us to do this, Lord in the power that your spirit provides. We ask all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.